Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show, as I have invited Randy Hartnell on, who has been a fisherman off the coast of Washington State for many, many years, but now is, and for quite some time now, has been the president of a company called Vital Choice Wild Seafood and Organics, which is a leading e-commerce natural foods company that he and his wife Carla founded in 2001. Vital Choice provides an easy and reliable access to top quality sustainable seafood and much more. And that's why we invited Randy on today to talk to us about the current status of seafood and fish overall in our society. We've heard of fish farming, but we don't really, generally speaking, know a whole lot about it. But we have reason to be suspicious. Well, Randy will help to flesh out, no pun intended, why we should be suspicious. And then, after having our turn, our stomachs turn a bit and churn here and there, we'll learn about what he's been doing and some of his colleagues to turn the entire fish farming world around, and uh, we can take heart in that. Uh, and again, no, no pun intended. We could take heart in Randy Hartnell, who has really endeavored to create healthy fish, organic, and sustainable, so uh, our lives can be enriched by fish and nourished instead of um, made, actually, a bit more toxic. So, Randy Hartnell, welcome to A Better World. Pleasure to have you. Thank you, Mitchell. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, why don't we start at the top? Uh having to do with, I outlined sort of the unhealthy and the healthy side of this whole area of fish farming, and we need to know about both sides, and you are so eminently qualified to discuss this with us, because not only are you in the middle of it, deep in, deep in the water of, you could say, but also you've been a fisherman off the coast of Alaska, a commercial fisherman for for decades prior to your entering the space. So what had you, first of all, if you would tell us, leave being a commercial fisherman and then do what it is you're currently doing? Well, thanks, uh, Mitchell. I appreciate the opportunity to share this uh, valuable information with people. You know, uh, I have a friend who uh, is a health and nutrition author, and he, uh, he wrote in his last book that, but the only thing that nutrition experts agree on is that fish is healthy and Twinkies are not. And uh, but, uh, <laughs> but there's uh, so much confusion around seafood that uh, you know a lot of yes. fears and myths. And uh, so I so we appreciate the opportunity to try to bring some clarity to to this subject. Yes, sure. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I was a full-time commercial fisherman in Alaska for more than 20 years. I started going up there as a summer job and college and uh, just kind of fell in love with it and uh, ended up getting my own boats and crews and continued doing that until about 2001. And, mm-hmm. uh, I would still be doing it, except that what happened back then was there was 
basically over the course of a few years, a, a proliferation of uh, farmed salmon around the world. And uh, we had, were catching these um, abundant wild sockeye salmon, uh, just incredibly sustainable, healthy fish, but nobody wanted them anymore because the farmed salmon were more readily available, they were cheaper, and most important, biggest factor was that people didn't distinguish between one and the other. You know, salmon was just salmon. And uh, so almost overnight, our markets disappeared. We were still catching a lot of fish, but they weren't worth anything. And so my uh, my salmon fishing... So people stopped fishing, understanding uh, the difference between uh, farmed salmon and wild-caught. That's right, yes. They were just... Uh, they How could really they not tell the difference it, between the taste? Well, it was brand new, you know, and, and a lot of people weren't eating a lot of salmon at that time uh, other than maybe canned salmon. And so what they knew I is think. that, wow, uh, fresh salmon is now available at my grocery store pretty much yes. 12 months a year. And uh, But it was only after, a, a you know, a lot of effort on our part, my part, and other people, uh, you know, educating people about the differences mm-hmm. that uh, – that they began yes. to get it. And, uh, yes. So anyway, I had to transition out of something else, and it was kind of an agonizing couple of years there before I figured out what I wanted to do. And what I ended up doing was initially going out and educating people about the differences. And then when I did that, I discovered that they, they didn't want farm salmon. They wanted wild salmon, but they didn't know where to find it. And, uh, oh. Because okay. you know, the stores didn't have it. The restaurants didn't have it. And uh, so that mm-hmm. ultimately led me to recognize an opportunity to provide it. And so I, yeah. I uh, sort of took advantage of the relationships and the knowledge I had of the wild salmon industry to, to start uh, our company and ship it to people. And that's what we've been doing ever yeah. since. I see. I see. And so what essentially you were doing was providing something that you had provided before but now you've also educated people about the values and the properties and the features, if you will, nutritional value of wild caught, and you are able to cultivate it even in a fishing, I'm sorry, uh, a farming environment, but through doing it in a way that's uh, au naturel? Well, what a lot of people, you know, one of the many myths and misconceptions out there is that, you know, there aren't really many wild salmon left. And so that farm salmon yeah. is going to take pressure off those wild stocks. And yes, uh, there's a certain amount of truth to that. But, but in Alaska, I mean, they've been managing their fishery resources as sustainably and responsibly as you can imagine as is possible. They're considered around the world as the gold standard for fisheries management. In yes. fact, just this last summer, they had the biggest return of wild salmon that they've seen in the place where I used to fish uh, in 50 years that they've been keeping records, over 60, uh, between 50 and 60 oh. million of this just one species, sockeye salmon, returned to Bristol Bay, Alaska. So they've been doing a fantastic job. These are probably yes. the most sustainable food on the planet, and I'm not, that's not hyperbole. Mm-hmm. That, uh, mm-hmm. You can go into the details as to why it's so sustainable, but... Uh, yeah. But anyway, it's uh, it's just an amazing, natural, one of the last truly wild fish that we have. Uh, they 
they're all man- the fishery is managed by scientists, and uh, they figured out over the 50 or 60 years since Alaska had statehood that you know each river needs an X number of fish to get up to guarantee the, the perpetuation of the run, and uh, so they allocate mm-hmm. for that, and then everything that's extra is uh, allowed to go to uh, the fishermen. So out mm-hmm. of 60 million fish, about 25 million of those went up into the rivers and spawned, and all the extra gets to go out into the market. Uh, the world markets. I see. And we get our little mm. share of that and, and provide yes. it for our customers. So it really is a myth then, Randy, that uh, there is a scarcity of wild salmon. They are flourishing, but the common perception is that that's not the case. And as you were saying, fish farming, which is controlled yet, it's also toxic, and I'd like you, if you would, to expand on how it's toxic. And but the idea fundamentally was that that was relieving the pressure on the on the wild salmon population. But you're really saying that that's not really true whatsoever. You know, ironically, Mitchell, it's uh, it's just the opposite. That if uh, people quit uh, if people quit buying wild salmon. Another, a lot of fishermen that are left, uh, like me, they go out of business. And who's going to protect mm-hmm. the wild salmon that are uh, there? You know, who, there's a lot of competition for that habitat. And one of the reasons that Alaskan, the Alaskan uh, salmon fisheries are so healthy, or most of them, not all of them, some of them, it's a very cyclical thing. And uh, some of the mm-hmm. fisheries are up and some are down. But, but in yeah. general, one of the reasons, that uh, a very important reason that those fisheries are so healthy and uh, a lot of fisheries elsewhere in the world are not, is because of habitat destruction. Uh, yes. You mentioned that I also fish off the coast of Washington. Well, our salmon runs in Washington are not so great because uh, many years ago they decided to put hydroelectric dams on the rivers, and that uh, mm. prevented the. And in Alaska, right at the headwaters of Bristol Bay, this area we're talking about, for about ten or more years, this uh, multinational mining corporation has been trying to get permitted to build the biggest open pit mine in the world. It's called the Pebble Mine. And uh, the people that have been fighting that at the front lines are the fishermen. All those people that are depending on that fishery for their livelihood uh, are the most vocal advocates for the salmon. And So when you go out and buy farm salmon, you decide the wild salmon is too expensive or you can't get it or whatever. Basically what you're doing is empowering all those people, uh, sort of indirectly empowering all those people that that want that salmon habitat for themselves, whether it's the miners, the oil drilling, you know, fossil fuel extraction people, tourism. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of people competing for that that precious salmon habitat, and the salmon <laughs> they're really at our mercy. So, so anyway, God that's one almighty. reason we say that uh, if you want to save wild salmon, you need to eat wild salmon. And it sounds uh, counterintuitive, I know, but there is uh, a lot of truth to it because the more you know, healthy salmon uh, industry is, is going to work hard to protect those salmon and protect their habitat. Mm-hmm. The farm, the farm. Yeah, uh, please. Uh, I'd be happy to talk about the salmon farming industry. Also, I I always like to press. Oh, definitely uh, want to hear about that and what happens to the water, et cetera. But I'd like to ask, if I may, since you're sure. speaking about the wild salmon, and I, I understand and appreciate the point you're making, 
what are the reasons that, and maybe they should be obvious, and I shouldn't even ask this question, but just in case, what are the reasons that wild salmon is more expensive than uh, than fish farmed salmon? What, what I'm sorry. What are the reasons that it's more expensive? Why, yeah. What What are the reasons that the the wild caught is more expensive? than the salmon from a fish farm? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the cost of sourcing it, bringing it to market, processing it, because uh, it depends on what kind of salmon you're talking about. There's five different species of wild salmon, and not all of it is more expensive than farm salmon. But if you're going to take a, you know, a wild king salmon or sockeye salmon, it's a, it's a, basically a finite resource as opposed to farm salmon, which are, you know, there are millions and millions of tons of farm salmon raised mm-hmm. around the world. So plus uh, farm salmon are raised in a, in a way where the environment is subsidizing the cost of raising them. You know, they're often raised out yeah. in open ocean pens where they don't have to worry about sewage or, uh, Basically, the environment is subsidizing the cost of raising the salmon, the farm Yes. Uh, yes, okay, so, so that's just, sort of a, an off-book co- uh, cost that now one other we, make there, we, the uh, planet, are absorbing, if you will. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there, there have been uh, attempts to raise farm salmon in a more sustainable manner, and usually that means in a closed containment uh, pen or tank that's on the shore mm-hmm. where you're filtering the water, you're circulating the water with using electricity to circulate the water and and, uh, and filter it, clean it and all that. The problem is it's sure. so expensive to do that that uh, by the time they get done, the, the farm salmon that you get out of the, the sustainable uh, approach is as expensive or more expensive than the wild salmon. So if they uh-huh. cost the same, the farm salmon has lost its primary advantage. And uh, so that's... Uh, those are some of the sort of economics underlying yes, the, yes, the yes. cost differences. You know, one would begin to think that for handling the electrical cost, one could do solar, one could use wind turbines and offset the energy cost that way. And by using purified water um, and those purification systems also run in effect by solar, that the cost of operation might not be so intense as it would be under conventional conditions. Are those possible offsets to that kind of uh, establishing that kind of farming? Well, those are, I, yeah, I would think those would be possible, but there's a, obviously a cost associated with those. And right now it's just so much cheaper to to do it the way they're doing it. So nobody really wants to stick their neck out and try and, uh, you know, do it a different. But what are the deleterious so, effects of uh, standard fish farming? Um, is it done mainly um, in the ocean? Uh, that's what I'm gathering from you. Distinct from yeah, what I being most, uh, penned in fish farms. Yeah, what I'm most personally most familiar with is the fish farming that uh, happens just north of us here. I'm out at, near Seattle, Washington, and north of us in British Columbia, they have a very large. Uh, fish farming industry and that's yeah. uh, the problem with that 
is that those fish farms are placed in areas where wild five different species of wild salmon migrate through those areas where the fish farms are placed because they are mm-hmm. basically uh, pens that are open to the environment. All the pollution that they create, all the pesticides, all the chemicals, everything that goes into those raising those farmed salmon goes out into the local uh, ecosystem and the wild salmon yes. that go back and forth are exposed to it. And so what happens is so right now you've got this giant run of sockeye salmon going up the Fraser River just south of Vancouver and uh, in the spring the smolt, the, the baby fish are going to come out and they're going to migrate out into the ocean and they're going to pass through all these salmon farms. It's just one of numerous problems that I'm aware mm-hmm. of. So they're going to pass yeah. through all these farms. They're going to be exposed to the parasites. They're not getting the, the chemical pesticides that the farm salmon are getting to treat them to you know, protect them from mm-hmm. the parasites. So they'll pick up, they'll pick up the larvae. Well, some of them will wander into the cages because they light them at night, and that, that attracts the wild salmon, and they'll wander mm-hmm. into the cages and be eaten by the farm salmon. And mm. uh, so there's, those are just a couple problems, and that's been shown that you know, they're exposed to any diseases. There's a, a deadly virus called infectious salmon anemia that's been found in farm salmon out here, as well as. Mm-hmm. In other countries where they raise uh, these things, and so I, I want to just make one comment that I am not anti-aquaculture. I'm not anti-fish farming. Uh, in fact, I think it will be a solution, one of the more desirable solutions to our food and the our food needs in the future. Rising food needs as our population grows. We've got three quarters of the planet that is ocean, and it makes complete sense to. Uh, farm it, but you've got to do it responsibly with species that, you know, don't require, uh, and then one problem with farm salmon is you've got to feed them fish. So it's yes. not really true that, you, you know, you don't have, you have a net loss of protein. You're feeding them more pounds of fish than you're raising. And uh, wow. although they are trying to address that by feeding them more grain products, which Grains, which is just a perfectly natural thing for fish, right? I see fish come up onto <laughs> land and eat grain all the time. Uh, you know, it's best if you well, don't have, uh, you know. Uh, else, you know. <laughs> yes. But well, that, this is just some of the peculiarities of what humans do to our ecosystem. But I'm sorry? Right, and our food system. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, you've been exactly. talking mainly about the environmental issues, but there's the nutritional aspects of it, you know, that are quite uh, Indeed. Uh, different. So, I mean, well. if, in other words, if farm-raised salmon are eating a lot of fish, so that's reducing, interesting, that it's driving the cost up, and it's, you're saying the net value of the protein is reduced. And it, how about, is that the case? Well, I mean, you've got to feed, I mean, salmon are ocean-roaming carnivores, naturally and historically, right? Yeah. And so you've got to feed them fish byproducts. And so what often happens is they will go to places like Peru where they've got a huge anchovy fishery or other places in the world where they've got sardines or herring and they'll catch, yes. uh, you know, many tons of these things and then render them down into pellets that they can feed the, the farm salmon. And uh mm-hmm. I just want to mention to anybody that's really interested about this, all you have to do is Google farmed salmon, and there's lots of information there. Uh, there's one 
particular documentary I would recommend. It's called uh, Salmon Confidential. Salmon Confidential. Oh, okay. and it's an excellent documentary that was created by a, uh, a team of people up here in Vancouver that explained that problem that I yeah, uh, the impact of the farm salmon farms on the wild salmon, and uh, by a woman who's been trying to get this story out for years, uh, Alex Mort. She was featured on uh, mm-hmm. 60 Minutes and, and oh. other other places. But one of anyhow, my favorite yeah, shows. I, uh, we could talk about farm salmon all day long here, but uh, I would just suggest anybody who really wants to know about it, they can find find. Read to their hearts. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I totally appreciate that and the reference, Randy. Uh, you provide a unique opportunity for us and our audience here to learn about what goes into the Vital Choice uh, series of fish that you make available to the public. That would be really interesting to understand on the healthy side. You know, I named the show the the unhealthy and the, all the way to the healthy fish. And so, you know, needless to say, from the point of view of uh, nutrition, what we're looking for is those omegas, the fish oil, which, you know, our brains and nervous system need, our, our entire digestive system needs, and it has such immense impact on, on these functions, memory, etc. And so getting high quality, which is what you offer through Vital Choice, and A Better World, by the way, is uh, eager to be um, in association with you as an affiliate so we can make uh, your fish available to our following and something we forgot to follow up on previously, but we certainly will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get that uh, straightened out. What? I'm sorry? Oh, I said we'll get that, uh, we'll get that straightened out. Straightened out. Yeah, we'll get that straightened out. One exactly. last com- yeah, if I could make one last comment before we moved on from farm salmon. And oh, sure, that, absolutely. You, you know, I'm, we're talking in general generalities here, and there are people, as you know, I think, uh, there are people around the world that uh, – Salmon farms that are better than others. They're trying to do things responsibly. And so yes. I don't want to paint everybody, tar everybody with the same uh, brush here. That, uh, same brush, right, exactly. Yeah, there are, yeah, and so you're so deep in it, you know uh, the differences between those who are really looking to create healthy fish in a sustainable way and run a really good operation and those who... Uh, don't give a care in the world. And, you know, we've heard of just monstrous uh, fish farming taking place. I don't think it's salmon farming. In places like Vietnam, where, I mean, mm-hmm. and I think even China, where the fish is showing up on our our shelves here in New York City. And it's virtually completely toxic. I mean, these these fish are swimming in their own excrement, and no one is doing anything to clean up the water, and uh, it, it, it's a horror show. That's right, and, and uh, yeah, some of that, some of the Asian products, the tilapia, the uh, the shrimp, yes. you know, are probably some of the. Well, I will. I know the shrimp, especially, is considered some of the least sustainable food on the planet. And, uh, mm-hmm. But there are, as we. You mentioned earlier there are positive uh, alternatives, and so 
I'd love for you to lay those out for our audience uh, so we really hear what those are. Because, as you say, the well, the upsetting stories know no bounds. <laughs> they're they're ample, like uh, fish swimming one thing upstream. I pretty quickly, uh, when we started the company uh, 16, 17 years ago, uh, selling directly to individuals is uh, you have an open line of communication with all those customers, and they have lots of questions, and so they're yeah, you know what people are concerned about, and. Sustainability is one, contaminants and mercury and radiation and all those other things. So what we do mm-hmm. is just we navigate the sort of smoke and mirrors and the uh, obstacles to find better alternatives, you know, that we want to feed our families. Yes. And uh, yes. that's basically that's what we do. And there are, you know, most commercially available seafood, uh, with very few exceptions, is generally healthy. And, uh, you know, certainly any kind of wild salmon and uh, any Alaskan seafood products are generally very healthy. And, uh, mm-hmm. and as you alluded to earlier, you know, these omega-3 fats are absolutely essential. Our brains just do not work without omega-3 fats, period. Yes. And fish and seafood. I know some people a, who are very deficient, uh, and I can tell by their <laughs> behavior. <laughs> Uh, no comment, but I, I agree. <laughs> well, you know, seriously, I have a, a good friend. He's an octogenarian, Dr. Michael Crawford, who discovered decades ago the role of DHA, one of these uh, uh-huh. omega-3 fats in the brain. And, and he predicted way yeah. back in the 70s uh, that we were going to have a proliferation, an escalation in mental health disorders because of this fat paranoia. You know, our brains are made mm-hmm. of fat. People avoid fat, and and in fact, there are studies coming out now showing that our brains are literally shrinking, and, uh, at least yes. people who are eating a Western diet, because they're just yes. not getting those nutrients. So fish is yeah. you know, really, besides being delicious and uh, healthy in other ways, it's it's really good for our mental health as, as well. Yes, exactly. And along that same line, Randy, I would like to just add uh, someone who was. Uh, really educating me back in the 90s about uh, fish oil and fats altogether was Udo Erasmus. And if I'm not mistaken, he's from your general neck of the woods in British Columbia, if I remember correctly, who wrote uh, a book called Good Fats, Bad Fats. I interviewed him for A Better World TV back back in the mid-late 90s, something like that. And uh, I remember some of the studies he referenced in his book which I thought were so fascinating, and I hadn't had a clue about it until I read it there, which is the presence of fish oils um, in the diet changed the level of violence among prisoners in prisons. And even, um, you know, just ordinary people who maybe tended toward violence when they increased the um, the fish oils in their diet, that changed. It vastly yes, reduced. I'm familiar with that. I am familiar with yeah. that study. In fact, it's been replicated and uh, raises the question, why in the heck aren't we giving fish oil to people in prison? <laughs> you know, there you go. Exactly. A reduction in violence and aggression by 30 or 40 percent. And Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, Mitchell, because I came out of a, a background of I mean, the whole company was founded on a desire to educate people about the differences 
uh, yes. seeing the different types of seafood. And so one of the first things we did was we started a uh, an online newsletter, which we call Vital Choices. And since then, we published over a thousand original articles on all of these types of uh, uh, topics. You know, all the different yes environmental and health and nutritional aspects. So I would you know, invite any of your listeners to, to check out our newsletter archive at vitalchoice.com. Excellent. You just put in your search. Uh, you can read about all that, that kind of stuff. It's really our passion. That is, is wonderful. People about how, how important these uh, nutrients are. And then if it's going to be having that kind of effect on the brain and uh, the neuronal connections and the nervous system at large, uh, you can also surmise, and I know it's true, it's going to be having a very important effect on overall cognition and mental functioning. So the quote you made earlier back in the 70s uh, would stand to be true. And if we look at our society today, I, I think that there could be said to be a measurable increase in mental illness. And that's due well, to you, a lot of reasons, but not not without taking into consideration the presence of high-quality oils in the diet as a routine. Yes, I'm pleased. Tell that's me. right. That's right. It's, it's obviously a complex uh, issue, but... Uh, you know, look at autism and, and rates of brain disorders exactly. in children. It's just skyrocketing, and it's just really terrifying. True. Follow the trend. Now there are, you know, there are other places to point our fingers for that uh, that we're not going to go into right now having to do with vaccines mm-hmm. and the real studies that show this, not, you know, the so-called, you know, there's a whole propaganda machine that stops people from doing independent research or seeks to discredit it. It's a very sad situation that, unfortunately, bad economics generates selfish Selfish-based economics, greed-based economics generates an entire new field, you know, of, uh, of, of antagonizing and criticizing what is otherwise very good science. But that, that's a whole other conversation. That's right. That's but, one of the uh, – yeah. I've gotten to know a lot of the nutrition scientists over the years. I go to a lot of conferences and whatnot, and, and basically in search yes. of the truth. You know, what the hell is the truth when it comes – because there's yes, so much – Yes, what is the truth? And so many, you know, agendas, as you well know. Everybody's got an agenda, and, and uh, so to try to get to the yeah. truth can yeah. be a real challenge. And so I've gone to a lot of scientific conferences where I uh, got to know personally a lot of the people that have been doing this biochemistry for decades. And one of the most frustrating things that they, they've experienced is just, look, at we know this can make a profound difference in the health of people, getting more omega-3 fats in their diet, getting more omega-6 fats out of their diet. It can make just a dramatic yes. difference in their health, but it never makes it into public policy because there's so many vested interests that really like the way yeah. things are and uh, yeah. profiting from the way that things are. So. Yes, yes, yes. It's a sad so anyway, fact. Just and it's a fishy it and that. it's a fishy story. I don't like that part of That's it. That's right. <laughs> True well, enough. Let's let everybody know, first of all, I just have to, Randy, let people know you are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin, and we are on every uh, Wednesday and other days to wit at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the Big Apple of New York. We're mixing 
big apples and big fish today. Uh, if you do not yet receive our newsletter, you can do so. It's free. It comes out only once a week, and that's at www.abetterworld.tv. We're also on TV every Monday evening at 7 p.m. here in Manhattan. And if you're outside of Manhattan, you can still watch it, and that is through our website, abetterworld.tv. Just click above in the right-hand corner where it says click to watch appropriately and uh, tune in. Just click through at a couple of minutes to 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and you can join us on the air every Monday as well while I interview the sung and the unsung heroes of society having to do with health, having to do with the environment, and cleaning them both up so we can have optimal, wonderful, healthy lives. So with that said, Randy, please pick up right now. Randy Hartnell is our guest today, and we're speaking about healthy fish and the wonderful work he's doing through his company, Vital Choice, where he's bringing healthy, sustainable, organic fish to the marketplace directly to us, right to our table. Ocean to table, you could say. You've heard of farm to table? Well, this is ocean to table. <laughs> so please pick up where you were, Randy. It's so interesting to hear you speak. Well, thank you. I kind of lost track of where we were. I did want to mention, you, you mentioned Udo Erasmus. And, uh, yes. Here just a couple months ago, I was... Uh, uh, with him in a, uh, we were both featured in a docu series called "The Real Skinny on Fats," and uh, I mean, <laughs> fans of his, uh, you, it's, it's uh, I don't know, forty, fifty interviews. I think a lot of them are available online. But uh, yes, really great, great information about how you know what happened uh, that caused this fat phobia that we have. And, still live with yes. and all the damage that it's caused. And sure. So his perspective. The low-fat propaganda. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, I guess, sure. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, one of the pre primary concerns that people have about seafood is, uh, there's so many, but <laughs> I guess one of the first ones is a lot of people think they don't like seafood. It tastes fishy and it's disgusting and they've had a bad experience somewhere along the line and they just decide they're not fish fish eaters and uh-huh what i want to what i want people to take away from our conversation is that good fish doesn't taste fishy and uh, mm -hmm. fish, you know what makes it so healthy so incredibly healthy are those highly polyunsaturated fats those omega-3 fats that we talked about those are notoriously yes. unstable in fact, as much as half of the fish in the supermarket ends up getting thrown out because they go rancid, they go, they oxidize and go rancid. If you don't have a really, uh, you know, responsible person running that fish counter, he's not going to want to throw them out. He's going to want to sell them, maybe beyond beyond the point when he should or she should. And so, consequently, people yes. end up with a lot of bad tasting fish. And I, it happens to me all the time in restaurants. Uh, just mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. I was in a restaurant and ordered the mahi mahi, and I asked the waiter waiter how it was. Oh, it's fantastic! And I got it, and it was rancid. And that's because oh uh, you know people in the kitchen they just are reluctant to throw it out before they you know when they should. Yeah. And so yeah, uh, yeah, that's such a big there, problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, such I say a big half problem. the time I order fish in restaurants on the road, it's on inedible. 
And so a lot of people think that's just the way fish taste. But uh, yeah. if you buy good quality fish, a lot of times buying it frozen is the best way to get it. If it's frozen right out of the water, it's it's going to taste that way when you... Uh, so is there, loss, is there any loss? Is there any loss in no. nutrition or flavor or enzymes, for that matter, from doing, what is it, like flash freezing, is the phrase called? You know, when I, yes, when I was, I, I think generally the answer to your question is no, there's not. And, you you know, there's people out there that will tell you anything. And so I'm sure there are some people out there that are going to tell you, that, oh, if you freeze it or if you cook it or you know, no matter how you prepare it, there are people that are going to tell you that that's not optimal. And obviously it's optimal to catch it yourself and put it on the grill and cook it right away, but that's yeah. obviously not realistic. And uh, True. I probably have eaten more fresh salmon right out of the water than just about anybody on the planet because I caught them for 20 years and we always <laughs> yeah. took one for, out for dinner and and but when i started this company we it wasn't realistic we couldn't do that and so what we do is we flash freeze them we vacuum seal them you know air yeah. is the enemy to these oils that's where they so you right you the oxidation from the air and uh yes and so you could go onto our website and we've got over ten thousand reviews of people that just can't believe how good it is and it's not <sighs> all we're doing is taking that fish out of the water, processing it quickly, packaging it, protecting it from uh, the air, and flash freezing it. And so when people get it, they just can't believe how good it is. And I'm really waiting for my salmon, Randy. <laughs> I'm waiting for my salmon. Now you've made me my mouth water. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a No, this is important what you're saying. That experience for people, not only the experience, yes. you know, the culinary experience, but the health benefits sure. for them. They go along sure. with it. So it's uh, uh, absolutely anyway. Absolutely, so. the oils are so important, and you know it's just uh, why not get it directly from the fish itself. Now, but that does raise a question that comes up, which is how much fish would a person need to eat in order to reach what would be an optimal level of omega-3s in the diet. Would one have to eat fish at every meal or two of three or one of three Uh, or what? Well, it depends a lot on what kind of fish you're eating because if you're eating, uh, you know, yellowfin tuna or uh, tilapia or fish that don't have many omega-3s, obviously you'd have to eat a lot more. But if you're eating, you know, what they usually refer to as a cold water fatty fish, then two really? to three servings a week, which is really not that much. You know, two to three servings. Oh, really? That's oh, well. You could have that. Oh, I guess that's the skinny on the fish. Yes. Well, it depends. You know, Harvard did a big study, and they they said okay, they saw a dramatic improvement in heart uh, heart health with only 250 milligrams of omega threes a day. One piece of, uh, so that would would equate out to less than two grams per week. And you could get that in a six-ounce piece of wild salmon. So one is better than none. If you eat two, that's better. Uh, The benefits just keep accruing the more you eat. And uh, they've Mm -hmm. even shown studies of people in Japan that when we were eating seafood all the time, that when they supplemented them with fish oil, and so he increased it even from their high base level. They saw uh, health benefits. Uh, but Interesting. Uh, as far as uh, I think a lot of people would benefit from just one or two servings of fatty fish a week. You know, heart disease wow. continues to be the 
the number one killer. And and there have been a lot of uh, studies showing a correlation between the deficiency of these types of nutrients. The other thing I, I wanted to add is it's, it's not only the uh, the oils. They get all the sort of attention uh, when it comes to fish. You anticipated my next <laughs> question. What are the other aspects of the nutritional profile? You know, when you pop a fish oil capsule, that's fantastic. You're getting EPA and DHA, but you're not getting the protein and, the, you know, all the different uh, vitamins and minerals and minerals. different compounds, the iodine and the zinc and the magnesium. And, you know, there's yes. a many really essential nutrients that are in seafood that you don't find uh, in common terrestrial foods. In fact, uh, there's growing evidence that it was humans sort of migrating during the Ice Age, migrating to shoreline, living on the shoreline and eating a heavy, seafood-heavy diet that actually contributed to the, the growth in our brain size. And it's just it's a really fascinating area of study uh, because yeah. if you look at animals that evolved on land, almost all of them, their brains shrunk. If you look at... Uh, it was only really humans that obviously Homo sapiens and, and whatever ancestors may have been around during that period uh, mm-hmm. that lived along the shoreline where they were eating a diet that was basically you know, concentrated brain essential nutrients. All the things you need to grow a big brain are in seafood, and that's still the, tr- the case today. And, yes. Uh, so when you look at people yeah. that are moving away from the shoreline eating you know, seafood poor diet, you start to see a lot of different health problems. Yes, exactly. Uh, sardines happen to be something I I know are extremely good for the brain because of their nutritional profile as well. Plus, mm-hmm. unlike many, I really like them. <laughs> you know, I really like them. No, we, what we happened? sell a ton of sardines. Yeah. Do you? There are, there, now, what like happens? a lot of fish, there, there are good ones and there are bad ones. And a lot of it has to do with how they're processed, you know, what yes. kind of oils, you know, if they're cheap vegetable oils that are going into the can, uh, which is the case with the cheaper, you, know, it's, you get what you pay for kind of thing, you know. When yes. we were thinking about bringing on sardines, we tasted a lot of them, sampled a lot of them, and there were some that were really delicious and some that were inedible. And so we chose to choose ours from a, a, a place known to produce the best and put high, highly, uh, high quality oil in with it. And so we get people all the time telling us that they're the first sardines that were actually tasted good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, Interesting. Now what, what is salmon really kind of far and away, Randy, the best fish from a nutritional point of view? Well, I guess I would say and sardines, but, uh, or, are the uh, the cod and the other fish that you make available because you make several kinds available uh what how do you compare these nutritional profiles well wild salmon is uh you know it's widely available you can buy canned wild salmon in almost any grocery store uh usually pink salmon or sockeye salmon also known as red salmon uh, those are both Alaskan. The thing that's uh, interesting about Alaskan salmon is, besides the fact that it's you know raised sustainably, it's also uh, 
uh, guaranteed to be wild. I mean, there is no they've banned salmon farming in Alaska, so you don't have to worry. Oh, as Alaska, it's it's definitely wild salmon, and so you'll get okay. They they say that that just means it's one of the it's out there eating a, a natural diet that it's been eating. Yeah, salmon have been eating for millions yeah. of years. And, uh, and so the canned product is, we sell a ton of that. It's it's uh, shelf-stable. It's really convenient. It's There's nothing added to it other than maybe a little bit of salt. Uh, and you can open up a can and pour it on your salad or stir it into your pasta or rice or whatever. And uh, just, I probably two to three times more canned salmon than I do the, the fresh frozen just because it's so much easier. Oh, that's and it's less, less yeah. expensive. And now, are you dealing with any... I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I wanted to, say, to the ask you. Salmon is, uh, the sockeye salmon in the stores is generally more expensive, but it's a it's a, generally a better culinary experience. It tastes better. The, the, uh, most people agree that it tastes better and the texture is better. But from a nutritional standpoint, they're both fantastic, really genuine superfoods. So Interesting. People can Interesting. try each what they like. Now, when when something is canned, however, isn't there the issue of the can itself? I don't know aluminum or any any effect um, in that way. You know that is something a lot of people are concerned about, and uh, you know there's this issue with BPA and phthalates and sure. uh, you know we actually had went through a period where we had our cans tested and they were BPA free and our suppliers tell us they're BPA free and yes uh, you know I think it's a lot like methyl mercury you won't find a fish mm-hmm. anywhere in the, on the planet in the ocean that doesn't have trace levels of methyl mercury because that's a naturally occurring uh, element that's in the environment and they yes. dug up bodies of Eskimos, 10,000-year-old Eskimos, and tested their hair, and they had mercury in it because it's just always oh, been there. So God. essentially life evolved in the ocean amid a background of methylmercury. Now, the problem is, is it's that whole thing that dose makes the poison, right? At what point does the yes. risk become greater than the benefit? And yes. the biggest, most credible, uh, just impressive studies that I could be happy to provide more information about those, but basically what sure. what they found over and over again is that the benefits of seafood are so profound that they almost always, with the exception of some species, I can talk about the bad ones you want to avoid, but with the exception of some species, the benefits of seafood food are so great that it vastly outweighs the, the risk. So mm. you're getting so much, uh, so many benefits from eating certain types of seafood, especially the cleaner ones that have the most nutrition, that are the most nutritionally dense. Wild salmon certainly is one of those. And uh, yes, I, I, well, what are I the ones also, that I, we should focus on, and which are the ones that we should avoid from this point of view? Well, the, the basically the rule of thumb for the ones to avoid are the the larger, long-lived predatory fish the top of the food chain fish, because they're bioaccumulating. You know, the little fish have hardly any contaminants in them. And as you go up the food chain, every every step up the food chain, there's going to be more. So are you talking about shark? Shark and marlin and swordfish and, you know, any of the big big fish, they're going to. Yes. uh, Like I said, top of the food chain. 
the yeah. FDA has a, a, a guide, an advisory for pregnant and nursing women, and there's only four or five, I think there are only four or five fish on it that they uh, suggest people absolutely avoid. And uh, mm-hmm. king mackerel, pile fish, uh, a couple others. But generally, any of the fish you buy in a grocery store, the benefits are going to, you know, exceed the, the risks. And one of the biggest studies, 14,000 pregnant women, they tested their blood levels, mercury levels, and then they've been following the kids uh, for more than 20 years now. And, and this is called the ALSPAC study, A-L-S-P-A-C. It took place in the U.K. And when they started the study, they fully expected that the women that had the highest mercury levels, because they were eating the most fish, among other reasons, would mm-hmm. ultimately give birth to kids, children that would have the most developmental deficits. Mm-hmm. What they figured out after, I don't know, 10, 10 years and on onward was it was just the opposite. And they published this in The Lancet. I think it was in 2007. Or, uh, we have it on our website. But uh, anyway, yeah. they, what they found was it was the women eating the least amount of fish who had the kids with the most developmental disabilities. The lower, oh. the most cognitive, pro- neurocognitive problems, the lower IQ. Yes. And there was, uh, in contrast, the women that had eaten the most fish, as indicated by the higher mercury levels, had the kids with the, the least problems, the higher higher IQs. And so they, they, they equated them, uh, they figured that the methylmercury correlated to maybe a one-tenth of a point IQ point drop and IQ, the nutrients, the omega-3s, and all the other good stuff in the fish added five IQ points. So basically the, they concluded that the advice recommending that these pregnant women avoid seafood was actually causing the harm that was intended to prevent. And it was, uh, I think it took a couple of, two or three years after that, that the FDA's result came out and changed their advisory. It was a fairly subtle change, it, it went from uh, eat no more than two servings of fish per week to eat at least two servings of fish per week. Um, so, <laughs> I see. Interesting. So when you you know, it's your as question a, about the can. Yes. Uh, back to your question about the can. The evidence mm-hmm. of the benefit of that salmon in that can is so huge. I mean, there's just thousands of studies that show that these essential nutrients are so important to our well-being versus the evidence that the trace levels of some type of contaminant in the can is going to harm you. It's it's really hypothetical. I I mean, to my knowledge, there's not a lot of evidence out there. It's it's mainly fear uh, that there's a possibility. And, And when you weigh them, the benefit versus the risk, the evidence of benefit versus the evidence of risk, it's just a pretty simple equa- uh, decision, but uh, at least in my mind. <laughs> but you could well, I think that there is a difference in the quality of cans and canning processes. So I think the cheaper well, the yeah, can, be- the more problem one would have. And I think there's a definite correlation in that area of the question. That's such a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mitchell, because just whether it's frozen or canned or whatever, it's, you know, the quality of the fish that goes into the can is going to dictate what comes out of the can, right? 
And we were starting our company, and we we went to uh, talk to suppliers about uh, buying canned salmon from them. I said, we don't want any canned salmon that comes from previously frozen fish. What happens is a lot of times during the peak of the season, you'll get millions of fish coming in, and the the processors can't handle it all in Mm -hmm. a timely fashion, so they'll freeze it. And then when the fish the fishery is over, when they catch up, then they'll thaw that thought out and they'll put it in the can, and and that has an impact on the the ultimate product. You'll get a curd curding like a white uh, fatty substance in there. So I was talking yeah. to this one person one day, and I said, I don't, I really only want salmon that are canned from fresh. And he said, because of this curd problem, and, and there's a subtle flavor difference too. And he said, well, we, we get around that because when we cook, when we can the frozen salmon, when we're cooking it, when we put it in the retorts to, to cook it, we turn it upside down so that curd all goes to the bottom of the can, and then the customer doesn't see it when they open it. And, you know, that's the kind of smoke and mirrors that uh, yes. that goes on out there. And, that and other so, yes, you can, use. you can buy a cheap can of, cheap canned salmon, and it's not going to taste very good. A lot of people think it tastes like cat food or whatever. There's also yeah. some really delicious, yeah. delicious canned salmon. And so we, buy, we go to people that put the very best fish in the can and they pack it fresh. And okay, it, good it, to it's know. It's going to cost a little more, but... Uh, We've only got a few more minutes left, Randy, and I want to ask two things. One is I want to understand uh, you spoke about catching the fish in a wild habitat and uh, flash freezing them and removing all of the, you know, the the air so they're vacuum-packed and so there are other companies, I imagine, that are doing something like this. And I'm wondering what it is that distinguishes what you're doing or maybe where you're fishing that makes your fish superior. And then the other question I have is a more difficult one, which is that sure. since Fukushima, we have had the effects of radiation on our Californian, on our western shores. It shows up, it's sad, but it's now become measurable. I'm wondering, based on where you are gathering your fish, have you seen, are you aware of any of the effects from that Fukushima fallout, which is unfortunately a gift that continues to give over time? Um, what, what What do you see? Yeah, fa- fantastic questions, and uh, let me take the, the Fukushima one first. Uh, sure. Yeah, that, that was a horrible tragedy, and uh, uh, we've probably heard about got calls every week ever you know ever since it happened many years ago. Yes. And uh, yeah. we what we did was what the only thing we could do. Okay, we're gonna collect samples of our fish, and we're gonna send it out. We're gonna find the most credible lab out there. And we're going to send samples, and we'll see what happens. And so mm-hmm. we did. We sent six six samples of 16 different species of Pacific seafood, uh, and we held our breath. We sent them off to the Eurofins Laboratory in Louisiana, and they came back. And out of those 16 uh, samples, 14 of them had no detect. And let me put that in perspective. The unit of measure is, is becquerels per kilogram. That's what they measure the the radiation isotopes that would be affiliated with the Fukushima. Uh, 
400 becquerels per kilogram is considered safe for drinking water, right? The detection mm-hmm. level is only two becquerels per kilogram. Uh, and the two detects we had were in a halibut and a tuna, and they were like two, between two and three becquerels. So very low. Okay. Like for 14 species, we saw no detect whatsoever. Now, of course, everybody's wow. concerned that, well, that, that radiated water is working its way over. And so we've been testing every year, and we uh-huh. post all this on our website. If you go to our website and just go Excellent. to the search box on the homepage, type in radiation, and you'll see a full report there of all the tests. So that's just another example of, you know, Great. really, when you look at it, it's really reassuring. And, yes, there are these scary headlines out there and scary sure. images of radiated Pacific. And there was one headline in the L.A. Times, you know, Pacific seafood irradiated. And, but when you look down into the, if you go look at the science and you look down into the article, you'll see, well, uh, the levels are so small, you'd have to eat 40 pounds of tuna a day to really have a, you know, hazardous dose. So, sure. Uh, you know, we. I'm just going to say this. Pe- I I really a- appreciate your sense of responsibility in this regard, uh, including reflected in your ongoing annual testing. I think that's very responsible. But I also want to say a quick thing, and then I want to leave a minute to you to give the final picture of what you're doing at the company and then we've got to wrap it up and we'll have you on again to sure. continue because this is a very good conversation uh, and that is uh, <laughs> also you cited the Lancet well the Lancet did in a, a study many years ago on the uh, usefulness of homeopathy and answered a question does it work or does it not well the answer is yes and one of the ways it works is there are minute amounts trace amounts of a substance um, in a capsule or what have you that is imbibed and that acts in a sense really like an antibiotic interestingly enough it antagonizes the immune system enough to educate it not to poison it but to educate it about the nature of that substance so from that point of view it's interesting when you even think about mercury if the amount or the of the radiation even is low enough, it actually educates the body and the immune system builds a resistance to it. So now we only have 40 seconds, but give a quick a quick <laughs> well, little sketch and then I'll have you back on another quickly, time. Sure. Uh, real quickly, the difference between what we do and what other people do. Most people are producing fish, salmon, whatever, sardines for grocery stores who are incredibly price sensitive. So they're going to go out and find the very cheapest fish they can get. And I've had friends that have tried to serve Costco and Whole Foods, uh, and it's a race to the bottom because there's always somebody else that's willing to lower their standard, buy cheaper fish, and sure. compete in that. Sure. What we've done is we just we're going to buy the best fish that we can get. It's caught at the best times. It's caught in the best regions. It's a lot of the fish that we're sourcing would otherwise go offshore because Europeans and Japanese, you know, Asians are willing to pay more. In this country, we yep. tend to import the cheap fish and export our best best fish but anyway we so understood we are super highly selective and just choose uh and i could you know any of these subjects so you just go with quality about. in a phrase you stick with quality yeah. and not worry about anything else randy hartnell thank you so much for being a guest on the show today this is mitchell j rabin for a better world thanks so much for joining us visit us at our website www.abetterworld.tv and i'll see you all next week
week. Thanks, Mitchell. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Randy.